Welcome to Once Upon an Upset Interviews. On today's episode, I interviewed Lyric Holmans, an autistic self-advocate from Texas who runs the neurodiversity lifestyle blog, Neurodivergent Rebel. They are also the founder of Neurodivergent Consulting. Lyric is known as the pioneer of the Asking Autistics hashtag, where simple questions prompt open-ended responses that autistic people can easily chime in with and invites participants to engage each other in conversations related to the topic. This hashtag connects neurodiverse people who would not otherwise have a reason to engage with each other and fosters collective understanding of the autistic experience. Thank you so much for being willing to talk with me. I really am excited to talk with you. (laughs) Thank you for the invite. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to start by thanking you because I come from an environment where any neurodivergence was pathologized. And I come from a mother who was like, she had a mask made of iron and this woman was just fiercely dedicated to her mask. Mm-hmm. And, and she was never accepted or approved for the dynamic, wild, flowery woman who she was. And she always felt, like I used to say about her, she didn't leave home without her wallet, her keys, or her mask. And she was fierce out in the world. And then she, she I, I think the best way to describe it is how you described something in one of your Instagram posts that I was just so moved by. And I, I want to hear you talk about it some more, if you wouldn't mind, but that sensory sensitivity that people who are naturally neurodivergent face in the world and the things we do to cope with that. And my mother wound up coping with substances. Mm-hmm. I mean, vodka and Xanax. She's yeah. the don't F with me combo. Oh. <laughs> because yeah. it's the only time where she felt like she deserved or could access peace mm. and and then when you talked about some of those others I don't do substances but I have had vertigo and I've had tinnitus and I've had so many different things and and when I heard you talk about sensitive people suddenly I, I was thinking gosh how many of us are sensory overloaded and struggling and suffering with these symptoms and don't exactly know why except to think that we're deficient in some way. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your story or or anything you're willing to share about how you discovered these things and what it was like before you discovered some of this stuff and and, and how you had a paradigm shift. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) Well, you know, before having the language to describe myself and my experience, uh, I would say I was very much lost because when you are not neurotypical, I'm autistic, I'm ADHD, sensory processing, anxiety disorder, you know, like there's a lot of things going on in my brain that are not air quotes, typical, whatever typical is, you know, for our, our modern society and time and place and where we are. Uh, but so when you have a brain that isn't typical even if you don't have a language for what 
makes you different, you know, you're different. You know, I knew I was different. I felt myself struggling to do things that neurotypical people, other people around me, you know, I didn't know why they took these things that were so hard for me for granted. And then I was constantly being scolded for not trying hard enough, not applying myself. This is easy. Why can't you do this? This is so easy. You know, you can do that other really hard thing. Like this should be so easy for you. You're just so lazy. You're, you don't, you never apply yourself. It's like, I'm trying harder than everyone else to do the same things with not as much results. And you, you'd start to believe that you are defective or you're a broken person. You're a broken neurotypical. Even without knowing what neurotypical is, you think you're one of them and that you are a broken one. It's like my own ugly duckling story, right? Like I didn't realize I was a swan. I thought I was an ugly broken duckling that couldn't swim well or something. You know, like I, I, didn't, I didn't know that there was a difference uh, and that there was a reason for my differences. So in school, like with the sensory issues, like when I would go and complain to the teacher or the nurse that I was in pain and having like my head hurt and my eyes hurt from the lighting, from the, from the fluorescent lighting in the classroom, you know, I kept going to, you know, the nurse like every day because it was hurting every day. And the nurse just thought I was trying to get out of school because they thought I just didn't like the classroom. Well, yeah, I didn't like the classroom. It was physically painful for me to be in there because of the light. Of course, I didn't like it. Yeah. You know, and so, but the nurse was like, well, everyone else has to stay in class. You have to stay in class too. You can't come to the nurse every day. You don't have a fever. You're not sick. And so I didn't know we had different brains, right? So this is me in first grade. Everybody else, teacher says, everybody else can handle it. Okay, everybody else must be in pain too. And I'm the only one complaining. Mm -hmm. So I need to learn to suck it up, tough it up go back to class to deal with it and so then I had you no know, migraines for the next 20 years of my life until I was 29 and diagnosed autistic and then I realized I don't have to have migraines there is a trigger from the migraines the fluorescent lighting and the sensory overwhelm and if I avoid the sensory triggers I don't have migraines anymore and now I haven't had a migraine in years but I was having them multiple times a week regularly every time I went to the physical office I was working in I was having a migraine and that was just my normal because it had been my normal since first grade everybody has to deal with this so you have to deal with it too you know and it's like so much pain in my life that could have been avoided by knowing I was autistic by respecting the sensory differences that we all have just how much noise canceling headphones have changed my life like going into public like why was I freaking out in the grocery store why does the grocery store make me feel like I need to run screaming and punch someone in the face like why you know I'm not an angry person but like why was I getting like these certain feelings of like agitation and just rage and angst because I was constantly in fight flight because my 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 anxiety was being triggered by sensory like hostile environment. So it's like, I really felt like I was in danger because of the environment. And I was in danger because of the environment because if I expose myself to those triggers regularly, they cause me to have other uh, flare-ups and some other chronic health problems I have in addition to being autistic. You know, I, I've got you know, the migraines, the vertigo that we mentioned, uh, seizures or something. Like if I keep exposing myself to these triggers, I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm not taking care of myself, drinking too many substances, you know, like alcohol, mm -hmm. coffee, like mm -hmm. those things can have an impact on neurological function. Like I'm very mindful of what I put into my body um, because 
I know it has a big impact on my sensory processing in those different Absolutely. Uh, you know, you mentioned briefly, like so many autistic people are looking for uh, a solution to kind of numb that and fill that down. That's why substance abuse is a really big problem with autistic people, because it's like, you just want to recalibrate that. You want to tune that down. A lot of us are self-medicating. We're self-medicating sensory processing, like just turn off the world, make it stop. Just give me a minute of peace. We're, yeah. uh, we're ADHD, a lot of us. So we're trying to self-medicate the ADHD because we're expected to perform neurotypically in the world. And we're just like looking for, you know, answers, whether, and, and if we don't have the, like the diagnosis or the language to understand what's going on with us, we're just looking for any band-aid we can find because like the world is so unforgiving and, un, you know, it's, it's not suited for us. So we're just like, please help me survive this unsuited place that makes me feel like I'm the problem. Absolutely. It's just so interesting how it's taken so long for the conversation to switch from the individual to the environment. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it it just like, and, and how different people handle that sensory overload differently. Because I learned from my mother who was so fiercely, it was kind of like we were behind the scenes and she would say, you know, I know that we're this way. She had a relationship where she survived by feeling like she was in on a practical joke, like the world is the way it is. But we know that that's a little bit phony. And we're going to operate and like, say like, oh, my God, what they're doing Mm -hmm. behind the scene. But then when we're in the world, like my mother couldn't function in the world, she could never get a break. She, She would have never I mean, Another topic that I wanted to mention is diagnosis in a second, but she didn't have, she would never have wanted a diagnosis from the others in the world because she felt like, who are they to tell me mm-hmm. who I am? And that was the kind of vibe that I grew up with. So I grew up doing the fawning thing in school all along. Like I totally fit the ADHD model. You know, I hyper focused on my projects and I went to school and I couldn't understand what I was doing there. I wasn't able to hyper focus on my projects anymore. Everyone took them away and gave me projects to do that I wasn't interested in Mm. and told me that I was wrong. So I figured, well, I'm going to have to go behind the scenes like I've learned from my mother. So if there was a test to take, you know, I figured out how to cheat so I could just get the grade. If there, I did a lot of the going to the nurse's office and I became very close with the nurse and she would try to give me little special jobs to do so I could sneak out of class. Mm-hmm. So I became like the, I, I figured out how to have relationships with different people to get out of being tortured because I could not sit at a desk. I... I would do cartoons instead of the tests. And I could never understand why the teachers didn't think I was so creative. <laughs> why would they want to fail me for, for that? So, and, and then the only option in my culture growing up, you either join the theater group or you join the drug addicts, you know, back yeah. then. So then I did experiment as a teenager with drugs because I was like, oh my God, this other stuff is so boring. And I would much rather just feel that wild sense of myself doing this other stuff because I just am, you know, being executive function to death in these classes and in my home, 
you know, uh, you know, that's a whole nother story of the dysfunction there, but nobody ever thought, well, let's talk about environments. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about maybe there's different kinds of brains who are seeing things from behind the scenes who could actually help create new environments. And when I started watching your Instagram videos and your Facebook stuff, suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, this person is so themselves, so all about being them. And, and it was just so beautiful to see you just totally embrace you. And then I started feeling sad about the pathologizing of so many people masking and people pleasing for what? Oh, uh, yeah. I had a stepmother in, in high school who used labels to punish me. Well, you must be such and such thing because there's something wrong with you. So I my relationship with diagnoses is, is very tainted. Well, I am never going to get a diagnosis because that doesn't fit on me because of my trauma with, with that woman. But, oh, at the yeah. same, but at the same time, I, I feel like for me personally, I just, I just embrace what anyone tells me they are. And, oh, yeah. And, and just so excited that people like you are creating environments for people to find themselves inside of and relate with and and just seeing you with your pink fluffy (laughs) things that you spin around and I mean that's just beautiful (laughs) I'm having fun again you know like when I first started the blog uh in the fall after I'd been diagnosed autistic and that, you know, I was almost 30. It was just like this big shock in my life. And, you know, I don't know if I would have even gone, you know, to get that diagnosis for similar feelings. It was like, who is this medical definition of me? How dare they say those things about me kind of a thing, you know, like, uh, I I didn't like it. I, I hated it so much, but that I needed accommodation. Like it became very obvious that I had a job I thought was my dream job but really it was it was my nightmare job but you know I know that now but I I was like I need this job this is my dream job this is it I've made it I must keep this job but I knew like I needed a combination and I knew without legal protection or some kind of diagnosis or proof it was going to be really hard to get the accommodation I needed and so I went through the diagnostic process because my health had been falling apart. I'd been getting really sick. I'd been wasting away. You know, I'd been going through like all these other GP appointments with like the, the general practitioner doctor trying to figure out what was going on with my health. And they couldn't find an answer for it. Like they're like, your stomach's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. We don't know. Like you think maybe it's anxiety. Go, you know, have a mental health assessment here. And then it was like mental health assessment. Oh yes, anxiety, but also did you know you're autistic? You know, which I kind of knew was happening because I did ask if I could see someone that had experienced autism because I I'd stumbled across an autistic person's voice like maybe about six months prior to that. But then when I Googled autism, you know, the medical language came up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I read the autistic book that I had stumbled across by accident. And then I was like, oh, this is like me. That's really weird. Does that mean I'm autistic? And then Google autism. No, 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 no. I don't think so. Because I couldn't see myself that way. Because it's like even the 
my strengths, like my obsessive nature. I think that's, it, it is a pain in the butt sometimes if I'm obsessed with something that has no solution, but it also is my biggest strength because it's why I'm a good problem solver. I can't let stuff go. I cannot let it go. So I'm an obsessive thing <laughs> until I solve the problem and people uh, only knowing autism stereotypes and not understanding autistic masking and so many autistic people, neurodivergent people out there in the world who may not even realize in their lifetime that their brains work differently. And might, and that means like, if they don't figure that out, they can't start to recover from the trauma and all of that internalized ableism that we all have. If we grow up in this world that is not, not nice to us, like they can't start that recovery and that healing journey if they don't find out about you know, their neurodivergent brains. And it's like, I can't stop until that problem is solved. And then it's like, then I see a new problem. Oh, look, we're all underemployed. We're all unemployed. Oh no, another problem. And so now I've been obsessed with all these problems for the last, you know, almost will be like six years in the fall. Well, you're, you're getting diagnosed has opened up so many spaces for so many people, myself included, because it's been the bridge to seeing neurodivergence as a culture of its own rather than a pathology. And um, I feel like neurodivergent thought and neurodivergent perspectives haven't had a chance to share themselves in an open forum. So when I was growing up, like if you heard about someone who was autistic or ADHD, well, they said ADD, Mm -hmm. like oh I feel so sad oh and that I can't tell you how that triggers me someone feeling sad for someone else is just such a such a thing and and that's why I love this emergence of another kind of reality processing another kind of conversation to have because these closed kind of listening to authoritarian voices and you know executing task after task i i i feel like it's it's kept so many things from blossoming in our society i mean now that just these spaces are opening up and and you and and there's a a couple other people i've been really super inspired by with you and and i and it's made a difference not only for me but for my son because he, I was starting to do with him, not quite what I had gone through because I had gone a step up. I didn't want him to suffer. So, but instead I put him in like the best Waldorf school thinking, well, those guys, but really in that Waldorf school, it was about the group. It was about being in silence in the lunchroom. And if someone's making noise, um, you have to figure out how to have empathy and, and commute. Well, my son, he was not having that. He was Mm. traumatized by the noise in the lunchroom. He was traumatized by having to sit at an art class and not paint monsters if he wanted to paint monsters and having his artwork taken away. Mm. And I, I kept saying, he would tell me these stories and I kept saying, well, let's give it some more time because I didn't think I could homeschool. Yeah. But then I thought, well, now I'm going to go visit the school. 
So they let me go and visit. I spent three days at that school. <laughs> and I don't mean to sound inappropriate or rude, but I felt like I needed to start smoking and drinking. Oh, <laughs> I was wow. so bored. Yeah. Imagine the how classroom. the kids feel. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, they were so kind and loving there. Really, I didn't have a problem with who they were, but the structure, it just hit home. This is why I didn't function well in a traditional school because I yeah. like to engage and I liked projects and I like to be project led my, myself. So I took him out of school and we've awesome. been healing in, you know, we still have tons of problems, but we are healing in our own way. And I'm learning from people like you and, you know, embracing um, different ways of looking at environments and how Yay. yes yes so I love it so I would be curious like in your experience of talking to so many people I mean like where do you think the future of of schooling is going I mean there's so many kids now who are just suffering and and the conversation is just in its infancy at least in my world maybe other people have been involved in it but What's going to happen, I wonder? <laughs> well, you know, uh, what will happen and what needs to happen you know, are potentially two different outcomes, unfortunately. But something I you know I've noticed in the workplace is if we need neurodivergent people to thrive in the current system, whether it's the workplace system, the education system, or any other system we've got in place now, the neurodivergent people have to be able to flex the systems to our needs because the systems that are currently set up unless we scrap them and create fully new systems, which I'm down for, uh, they were set up without us. We didn't have input in these systems. In the development of them, the education system being one of the ones that is the most flawed when it comes to neurodivergent people, in my opinion, and one of the most traumatic traumatizing uh, experiences of my life was the public education system. Uh, like we're going to have to do some major changes. Like we're going to have to scrap things. Uh, so many of our programs, whether they're workplace or education are segregated programs. They're, they're separate programs. You know, it's uh, you know, you go to your separate classroom, you have your separate, you know, separate things, all these things. And, you know, as someone who's been pushed into separate pipelines in the education system, because I was in special education in elementary school, and I was in gifted talented education at different times in my life, and I was in mainstream education. And I've been in private, uh, you know, Christian academy education, trying to straighten me out because I, I, most of my um, struggles, struggles uh, were labeled as behavioral issues mm -hmm. so more 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 discipline more punishment more punitive uh, measures were often applied to me uh, trying to punish the autism and ADHD out of me mm -hmm. which does not work no by the way it, it was only very traumatizing but so like the attitudes have to change from like currently in the different systems especially the education system the attitude is not that the system is broken. It's that the, per the, the student is broken and the student is the problem. And it's like, no, actually, you're not teaching the student the way the student learns. That is not the student's fault. That is the education system's problem. And it's, 
in workplaces and in schools, both neurodivergent people are often what I would say comparable to the canary in the coal mine kind of mm-hmm. thing, where we really are harmed by and cannot thrive in these systems as they are. And so it's very obvious when we are struggling because we literally cannot get through these systems because they don't accommodate our needs. It would be like asking someone from another planet uh, or us to go to another planet and be on the planet without an oxygen mask, right? It's not suited to us. We need an oxygen mask for our planet that doesn't have air because we need oxygen. Well, the planet as it is now, the systems aren't set up for neurodivergent brains. So we need to accommodate them and change them to adapt so we can live in these systems that weren't designed for us. And we have to do that shift. Uh, But meeting the individual person where they are, whether they're autistic, ADHD, neurodivergent, or neurotypical, meeting the individual person saying, what are your like learning needs? How do you learn? How do you process information? How do you share information? Meet the person where they are. You know, is this environment too loud for you? Too noisy? Too bright? Too cold? How can we help you customize it so you can be your best version of your best self? And letting people really, everybody, you know, diagnosis or not, tailor the environments around them so that it is suited to their own individual needs. It's you know, everyone, not just someone with a disability, has different individualized needs. Like when you, when you go through a separate channel and you have to out yourself or it looks like special treatment at workplace or school, like other people around you that want what you have mm-hmm. are like, why do they get that? Why do they get to go for that? Why do they get this? I want that. Why do they get more time to stand up and jump around? Why do they get fidget toys in the classroom? Why, why do they get extra breaks at work? Why do they get to start late? I want that. Mm-hmm. And that's the point if it's things that everyone else potentially wants or could benefit from, like, why are we gatekeeping these things that would make everybody else's lives easier or better? Uh, And, you know, when you gatekeep them and say, you have to have this thing to get it, it then like puts an unfortunate light on you. And like, as a kid, it drew attention to me. Like when I was separated out, went to separate special education room, this bedroom, you know, it was like the other kids made fun of me for that and mocked me for that and teased me for that because I, you know, was being segregated and singled out. So anything that like singles you out, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's separate. You're, you're, it's putting you apart from the other people. You aren't really being included. It's not true inclusion. That's so, so many profound things you've just said. Thank you so much. I was like, oh, I have a lot on this one. <laughs> I love that so much. And, and while you were talking, I just, I kept visualizing, you know, myself and there was like a bunch of kids growing up in my high school where, you know, it's like the kids who are always by themselves, you know, wandering around and, and kind of like masked that outcast and kind of wore that as their badge. And when, and, and when I think about what you're saying, like I think about, about how sad that is because that underneath that badge, underneath that coping strategy was like this blossoming, excited child and young adult wanting to like burst out of themselves on the scene, but there were no outlets. And then those pipelines you're talking about, people being separated, I mean, it's just like whoever thought of that idea was was thinking about numbers and statistics and not about humanity, because that is just the absolute opposite of thriving 
And I mean, not to say that people can't make beautiful connections in those spaces, but what a what a missing to not have what you were talking about. People being able to share what style of learning they have. What do they want to share? How would they like to express themselves and learn about the world together? I mean, that's like, if I had that and growing up, it would just have lit me up and I wouldn't have wouldn't have needed all those um, unhealthy resources because oh right yeah well so it's just um it's just very delayed in terms of our you know people talk about individuals having missed milestones my god the education system has missed so many milestones I mean they are this whole system is is delayed archaic yeah archaic and and just with such um so many so many blocks to open those structures up to to you know building new spaces so mm-hmm. i i just um hope that more and more people will listen to what you and other neurodivergent people have to say so I think little changes are happening but not enough (laughs) it's starting I feel there's been a lot of progress in the last five or six years since I found out I was autistic I will say it is better like it's when when I was first diagnosed you very seldom could find or hear autistic perspectives which is why I went to the internet and started my blog because I wanted more and I couldn't find it and then I was like I want a way to find or hear information about autism from an autistic voice like I don't want to read these pathological non-autistic perspectives that are like observing us like ants and I would find us the autistic person goes over and does this thing and sometimes they do this and we don't know what it means like you can ask Mm -hmm. us what it means and we can tell you yeah. You know, like I, I, I just, I had had enough of that. You know, like I wanted to hear autistic and neurodivergent perspectives, and now there's a lot more of even like the major news outlets like amplifying autistic voices. Uh, because when I first started, like anytime you saw a news story, it was usually a parent talking about their child being interviewed. You never heard from the autistic person themselves. And it's like everything was about autistic children. And now I feel like there's a much larger focus on autistic adults than there used to be, or the fact that, so like, I know there's a big focus on late discovery right now. Like you see it in the media, people are like late diagnosed autism, late diagnosed, mm-hmm. late diagnosed. Uh, ADHD too, is having a boom. Like COVID, I think everyone at home stuck with the internet was like yeah. monumental for so many people with all kinds of various forms of self-discovery, whether it's coming out LGBTQIA+, or coming out neurodivergent. I've seen so much of that over the past two years now. Gosh, it's been that long. <laughs> oh my, make it stop. Uh, but, but, you know, I've seen a lot of that. Like, that's been, I think, the good thing is people have been having these realizations and the conversation shifting to, like, it's not all children and there are autistic adults and we can share our own perspectives on what it's like to actually live as an autistic person, not just what it's like to live with an autistic person in your house. (laughs) Yes. And that is just so huge because you're so right. People, when you talk, when in, in my 
passed when I heard about autism. It was somebody who didn't have autism or wasn't identifying as autistic talking about those people. And, and now, you know, the, this whole emergence has happened. And, and for me personally, like with the ADHD stuff, it was the first time I'd ever heard the words hyper-focus, hyper-fixate, and, and the coping strategies. I mean, I have been a picker my whole life because if I'm not hyper-focusing, I'm hyper-fixating. And yeah. I always tried to keep it to myself as a secret because I feared what people, those people who talk about people and not yeah. with people, I feared that I would somehow be less viable as a human being. And when I started reading, because I love when you, when you share, like, what's it like for you? I'd love to hear what it's, what your experience is like. And then you get to read all these different people's experience. And it's like, it's so exciting to just hear like, oh my gosh, I have that, you know, like I, I've been, I mean, those are my two behaviors, hyper-focus, hyper-fixate, you know, in the ADHD paradigm or whatever. And it, just hearing that and, and, and that concept and like, I mean, so many of my behaviors growing up, you know, just like the, the masking and the fawning and just having words to that and having humor mm -hmm. to, to just commiserate and be like, oh my gosh, like I've yeah. been this like perception in here of out there and my perception in here it's like my my main stage is in here and then I I go out there and try to navigate and then some people's main stage seems out there and then they don't know how to navigate so much and and there I don't know I try to figure out the difference between different operating systems but all of these thinkings came out of people like you who are sharing what's real for you and that's a, why I was so excited to get to share with you and, and speak with you because you are doing a huge huge service to so many people everywhere so I'm just well, a big thank fan. You. <laughs> I, I'm, I try and I'm glad you enjoy the conversation starters because that that's really my my big thing that was my one of my first and continues to be one of my biggest passion pro projects when I started the asking autistic hashtag it was literally because you know what really bothered me at the core of everything when I was diagnosed autistic was the stereotypes and the way people describe the autistic experience. And I wanted to see autistic experience described by autistic people, but also I didn't want more stereotypes or I didn't want more, uh, you know, like I didn't want to become a stereotype. Like if I am only sharing my own experience, which is all I can share, like I can only share my own experience. I can't speak from anyone else's experience and every single autistic person out there has a very different experience of autism of being autistic or being ADHD or or both a lot of us are both and like it's not a uniform thing like my partner and I were both autistic but like we both have very different sensory needs we have different strengths and weaknesses you know we, we're, we're different even though we're both autistic uh and so like I wanted like and I still have those conversations where I ask questions even if I share some of my own experience I often 
will close it out by asking a question about what it's like for other autistic people because I want to see other perspectives that are uh, especially especially if they're different from mine like I mm-hmm. want to see those represented because I don't want to be another stereotype you know like I don't want to become the new autism stereotype I want that the, the differences I love I love hearing how things are the same because it's really cool to hear like, oh, this thing I thought nobody could possibly relate to, like all these other autistic people relate to it. Wow, it's really cool. Or most of them do. You know, most people are like, oh, wow, I'm not such a weirdo. I'm not so alone. Like, that's great. But I really love to hear how like all the autistic people are different from one another. Like, that's so interesting to me. It's like, oh, you know, my sensory uh, nightmare is cold. Mine is heat. Or I, I really love heat. I really love cold. Or, you know, I think in pictures. I don't think in pictures. Like, it's like neat to see that we're not all the same yeah uh, and so that's always going to be I think one of my big goals is to keep starting conversations so that you know we can learn from each other uh, and not just me I, I don't I never want it to be just my voice even though I'm using my experience to get tell stories you know I, I'm, a, I'm I'm a theater kid too you know I'm a, the, I'm a theater kid so I'm a theater kid and I'm a writer so it's like I tell I tell stories and uh, I've just been, you know, using my own personal stories to teach for the past few years. But I, I really get what you're saying. And when you were just saying that about celebrating or, or just giving space for all autistic experiences, I could just visualize you continuing to open up those spaces so everyone can share their own unique experience. And, and I really like that to just continue growing perspectives. And yep. do you mind if I ask you, um, what, since we're running out of time. I, I oh, was, wow, yeah. I know, I've been having such a good time talking with you. It's been great, it goes by quick. It does go by quick, but I, I'm thinking about the the people, you know, who, who may hesitate to investigate neurodivergence for themselves. Maybe they feel like they'll be outed, like we were talking about before, or they'll somehow feel less viable or their mask will lose its value. I was wondering if you have any words to say or, or any ideas to share with people who might be listening who are in that context. Yeah, well, you know, if you're neurodivergent, whether you really understand what that means for yourself or not your brain's still going to be different whether you choose to like investigate and understand for me finding out I was autistic late in life was like being handed a guidebook to my life and I realized before I knew I was autistic before I knew I was ADHD before I understood anxiety and what panic attacks were doing to me and understood how my brain worked I, I, it was like I had the wrong user's manual. So it's like I was, I thought I was a Windows computer and I had this Windows user manual and I'm trying to like operate my life using the Windows user manual for my Mac computer and it's not working very well. And I don't know why my Windows user manual is not working well for my Mac computer. And then I found out I'm autistic. It's like, oh, I'm a Mac. Here's the Mac <laughs> user's manual. Now life is so much more simple. Like I'm, I'm glad to know, like it changed my life. Uh, but, you know, it also depends to like, what do you want to do with the information? I was at a point where if I was going to continue to operate in the workplace and work for other people, I needed to be accommodated to stay in the workforce. 
although now I'm working for myself, so it doesn't matter anymore because I eventually just ended up in that direction because of the way things happened during COVID. Um, but like I needed accommodation if I was going to stay in the job I was in, couldn't get the accommodation and ended up leaving anyway. So it still didn't help with that. Uh, but there are instances where like getting that formal diagnosis may or may not be helpful. There are job and career fields where having a neurodevelopmental difference on your diagnosis might you know, mean you're ineligible for that job, depending on the type of job it is. If you are a parent or guardian and you're going through any kind of family court or custodial situation, whether it's divorce or foster care or adoption or anything like that, there have been cases where having a, a diagnosis like autism ADHD has been used against someone in family court. That's terrible. To say that means they're unqualified, which is totally not true because neurodivergent people make fantastic parents, uh, especially for neurodivergent children, <laughs> because, you know, we, we get them. Uh, so like that, that's a, a thing of consideration. Like what is it going to help you or is it going to potentially um, make your life better or could it, could it be hazardous to have that diagnosis if you're going to go down the official diagnosis route so like all of those things have to be considered uh, on for the individual circumstance because you know I, I feel like I'm in a place of privilege to where having that diagnosis I was able to access it because it is you know insurance a lot of times doesn't cover it for adults and so it can be very expensive here in America especially uh, and so I was able to access it and had insurance and then didn't even it didn't even cover it with the insurance anyway but you know it's like I was able to get a diagnosis and I had yeah. that access and it was more helpful than harmful for me but that's not the case for everyone and some people might not even have what they need to get to get the diagnosis since it's like they're evaluating childhood Go ahead. Thank, thank you for that uh, yeah. what about people who who just want to embrace it without a formal diagnosis, like as in a self-diagnosis, would you say in your own experience or in the experience of people you've talked with that having that knowledge that there's a different wiring in one's brain alleviates a lot of stress in terms oh, of yeah. feeling unstuck? Because that would be the word I would describe that you're the opposite of all the videos I've watched of you. You are not a stuck person. You are not open. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and I feel like I'm wondering if that that embracing or that being friends with the that brain that you've been given and brains that I've been given and other people like that embracing of one's natural operating system like you were saying provides a fluidity and and like there's no longer this stuck in here and that stuck out there there's like a like a interacting that's less stuck do you find that oh absolutely it's working with my mind instead of against it now you know it's like I know you know how to like when I'm at my best and how to work when I'm at my best I know how to chunk my my tasks together you know, I know I like I know how to like hack my brain now to get the most out of it. I know what's too much. I know the expectations don't have to be the same as they are for neurotypical people. And when I set my own expectations and then living a more autistic, neurodivergent friendly lifestyle, like really tailoring to my needs, it has been the difference between barely surviving and being in burnout and not knowing how much more I was going to be able to like take to 
thriving and you know, living my happiest, best life that I've lived in so many years. Like I can't think of another time in my life when I've been happier and more content. Uh, and it's, you know, a big part of that is knowing myself, knowing I'm neurodivergent and also saying, knowing that gave me some kind of strength to say, you know what, I don't care if I'm living a life other people don't understand anymore darn them all mm-hmm. I don't care and mm-hmm. I'm just gonna live and do what I want to do and I don't care what society thinks about it I don't care anymore like I'm done I spent too much of my life caring more about what other people thought than my own needs and not not being true to myself and you know, when I was stuck in that place I was I didn't know my authentic self and I was because I was not even sure who I was authentically because I was just so people pleasy and so like trying to be the perfect neurotypical, um, I couldn't even develop authentic relationships because nobody could even know the real me. Yeah, so I was really lonely and really miserable and really tired and exhausted and burnt out and stressed and unhappy all the time. So it wasn't it wasn't living. You know, it was it was yeah. just existing. Oh, so beautifully said. I really am grateful for you sharing that. That means a lot to hear and. I have a feeling oh, there's a lot of people who are really going to have that hit home for them. Thank well, you but- so, so much, Lyric. Yeah, thank you. So much fun talking with you. It's just really filled my heart just to hear your, your <laughs> ideas and, and your experiences. And I just honor you and thank you. Well, thank you. Same to you. It's been a wonderful conversation and I'm honored that I got the invitation and that we got to hang out and dive into this. So thank you too. Thank you, Lyric. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. Yeah, you too. It it should be nice and nice out here at least. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you again. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Once Upon an Upset interviews. For Once Upon an Upset podcast for kids and parents, please visit onceuponanupset.com where you'll find stories and conversations to help make sense of difficult times. This episode was written and produced by me, Jessica Laurel Kane, and the music was made by Jerome Rawson at Fresh Made Music. See you next time.